here's the thing. When I left off, when we left off, I did the front three sort of teachings on John. Uh, I left off with the baptism of Jesus. And uh, it's not in your handout. If you have your Bible app or your Bible's with you, follow along. But on this particular portion of scripture that I want to just reconnect to, that records the baptism of Jesus, I want to have them also scroll it up on the, on the screen. It's from Mark 1, verses 9 through 13. I want to read it through, again, just to reset and reconnect. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan, the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending. He would be John the Baptist. Saw the heavens like open up and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And that's why historically people have used the, the dove as kind of a symbol of the spirit. You, you know, was it a literal dove or something like that? It's hard, to, it's hard to know for sure, but it was something John recognized in a visual way as the presence of the Lord, the spirit of God falling upon Jesus. If you recall, when John had started that interaction, he had said, why, am I, why are you asking me to baptize you? Uh, you should, I should be asking you to baptize me. And Jesus said, you need to let this be. And John baptized Jesus. And when he did, he sees this phenomena. Another thing he, that happens as we, as we read here is he hears a voice crackling into this, into this you know, I guess through, through, over the water. Must have echoed out. This is my beloved son, my son in whom I am pleased, right? So he gets a visual and a verbal testimony. The Bible then makes a stark move. It then sort of shifts and says, from that moment on, Jesus then is immediately led of the spirit. The word driven is an interesting phrase. The idea is that God prompts him with deep conviction to move into the wilderness of Judea, which wouldn't have been that far from the Jordan. And Jesus is to go alone. And in alone, you can see what it's described as. He's alone in the wilderness with the wild animals and all the other threats that are there. And there's other things happening. He goes to be tempted of the devil. Scripture says, matter-of-factly. And also there were ministering angels there as well. What we're being given then is a picture of Jesus in the middle of intense, what we would call spiritual warfare. Where at the very outset of his ministry, the first thing that happens is he gets baptized. It's a marking point. And then he moves to be tempted in, in the wilderness and there's a sort of a spiritual confrontation that takes place in which Jesus is presented. And if we were just sitting with the temptation of Jesus, it would be a fascinating study in and of itself. But essentially, he's off offered a bypass of the cross. And in his humanity, Jesus must accept what God the Father is asking of him. And so in this intense moment in which he is confirming his purpose, meanwhile, John is still baptizing. You have to understand that moment. And again, we read it in the pages, and it, 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 maybe we don't appreciate it. Maybe we do, but I think sometimes we don't appreciate sort of in our mind's eye what was happening there, you know? Because when, evidently when John baptized Jesus, not a lot of people were there. At least not a lot of them recognized it. And there wasn't like this interaction that, this is what we're told in the scripture. There wasn't this big interaction that takes place with Jesus and John afterwards. Like they have this conversation and, and Jesus and John start talking about, okay, so John, here's what I want you to do next. And here's where we're going with this. All the Bible implies is that after Jesus comes out of the water and this happens, that John is stunned because he didn't expect it to happen that way. And then we're also told that Jesus quietly but evidently moves out resolutely 
and leaves without having a lot of interaction with John. I see John standing in the water as Jesus walks out and away with not saying almost anything. And John is there processing through what he has just experienced with Jesus. And for him, it's not even just the moment itself and trying to reconcile what has just happened here. You gotta remember, it's not just that Jesus is walking away and what does this all mean and what just happened here and he's stunned, but there's also a whole lot of other stuff that John has to process. His entire purpose for being has now been altered. His entire life is now gonna be different. Remember, what did he say his entire purpose for his existence was? He told the people, I am here to prepare the way for Messiah. He's coming. I don't know him. I know he's on his way. And we need to baptize ourselves into repentance to a point of openness and righteousness before God so that we can recognize the thing that he is about to do. Prepare the way. That's why I'm here. Um, and then that moment happens. And as John is there, part of him has to also be processing, as I think he will do in the next days, the days that follow. Well, well, what does that mean for me? What's next? Like, my purpose is fulfilled. And you're gonna, we're going to see later on, he's not sure what to do. It's not clear, actually. And like, we, we talked about how sometimes some of us may can really, maybe can relate to this because, you know, there are these moments in life where we, we come to these places where we've, what we've relied upon as our identity starts to shift or be brought to a close. And uh, I know some of us are younger here. Some of us are older. But in life, you will have transitions. This too I have seen. And some of us experience them at an early age. But when you have loss, significant painful loss or transitions, they reorder your world. And oftentimes we underestimate what John must have felt like when his entire purpose, as he understood it, was now fulfilled. What was his what next moment? Who am I now? What does this mean? Jesus didn't say anything. All I was born to do was to point to the moment when he arrived and now he's here. Now what? Where do I go? What do I do? It wasn't clear. We find ourselves in these places of transition where our identity has been tied up into something, and then all of a sudden, it's changing. That can really affect us. It really can. I mean, a lot of times what we'll find ourselves is you can, you can move into deep seasons of depression or discouragement. It's just intense because you're not sure where, what to do. Don't forget this. John was a prophet of the Lord, no question. An anointed man. He was also a very human man. He was a human being. He had real feelings. And he was capable of sinning. And he was capable of getting things wrong. And he was capable of being hurt, just like you and me. And, it, and, he, and he, had, he had, even though he, he was trying to be obedient to God, he also had to reconcile the fact that his life was being altered forever. At the age of 30, he didn't know what, he had achieved his entire purpose. Now what? It's important to keep that in the back of our minds, all right? Now, we know that after... Jesus goes in the wilderness, something happens. John's gospel, not John, the John's gospel, and I think many of us are aware, that John is a different John than John the Baptist, right? Uh, John's gospel records an incident that happens 
with John the Baptist and a contingent of powerful men who arrive in the region of the Jordan to talk with John. They have been sent by the most powerful authorities of their day from the Jerusalem temple authorities to question John. Because what was happening is at this time, John was so popular and recognized as being from God and many, many uh, people, that's an understatement. It's not hyperbole to say that there were large swaths of people from every level of society that were coming to be baptized of John. Everybody was talking about him. He was the rage. It would be, he would be big on the, um, the list if you were talking about a social media standpoint. He'd like be way up there right now, all the rage, right? John was the man. Everybody wanted to know about him. They were all talking about him. Everybody was interested in him. Everyone wanted to have their picture taken with him, right? They had to be baptized by John. God was, I, I'm, I'm exact, you know what I'm, I'm trying to get at, right? The authorities recognize this. Who is this guy? He's untrained. He's unlettered. He didn't come from us. What authority is he? Who is he? And by what authority is he doing this? Like, we got to find out. So they send a group of, of men to go question John. Now, remember, this is right after the baptism has occurred. So John now is met with this delegation, and it's recorded in the Gospel of John. And that's what I want us to look at. And watch the interaction and try to understand it. Okay, so let's read this through. Verse 19, it says, This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask, Who are you? What, what is your authority? How can you talk like the way you're talking? Who gave you the authority to baptize, to exercise a religious jurisdiction? Like, where did that come from, right? Their very approach, by the way, though, was at some level a compliment. And a more ambitious man with a lesser soul would have been tempted by the flattery of the inquiry. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it'd be like somebody, a, a group of the most powerful people in the nation coming to talk to you, coming to you to talk with you and try to understand who you are. And there was, a, there was, a, there was an honor, right? So they come to John, this this, these leaders and temple assistants and priests. And they, they just say, John, who are you? We, we've come to find out who you are. Who do you say you are? And, and he came right out. Look at verse 20. He came right out. And you know what he does? He starts out, he said, well, I'll tell you what I'm not. I am not the Messiah. And just in case you were trying to understand, if you were wondering if I was claiming to be that, no, I'm not. I am not the Messiah, which was connected to the fact that there were some people who were saying and wondering if he was like the promised one. John says, I am not the Messiah. Well, then they ask, look, who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, the reason they ask that is because there had been some thought that Elijah would return to the earth because it said that the spirit of Elijah would be on the prophet that would welcome in the coming of the promised one. And they assumed, there was a debate as to what that was. They thought maybe, and John looked like Elijah that they had read about. Elijah had been in the wilderness. John had come from the wilderness. Elijah dressed in camel skin. John dressed in camel skin. Elijah had wild eyes. John had wild eyes. <laughs> All right? Elijah ate, ate, ate locusts and honey. John ate locusts and honey. When you talk to him, you saw little pieces in his teeth, I think. No, I'm, ki- I'm kidding. I don't know, actually, about that part. But I know he had honey on his beard, for sure, because if you eat a lot of honey, it gets stuck there every now and then. Uh, but they came up to him, and they said, are you Elijah? Just watch the interaction. Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. Who are, who are you? I'm not the Messiah. Are you Elijah, the, the, the prophet? No, 
are you the prophet that we've all been waiting for who is to, like unto Moses, you read about it, I think, in Deuteronomy 18, it says there will be a prophet, God will raise up a prophet like unto Moses who will be a deliverer. So they, in their mind, they say, are you, are you that prophet? No. So first, I'm not Messiah. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. It didn't seem like John's interested in having a discussion here, is he? It's like, it's not like, like you want to, could you elaborate a little bit? No, nothing, nothing. Well, look at it says, then who are you? We, we, you, we can't just come back and say no. You, what did, we need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Who are you? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah, uh, I, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming, the forerunner. And the Pharisees who have been sent asked him, it says, well, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, then really we have to ask you, what, what right do you have to baptize anyone? Because no one's given you the, the formal uh, authority to do so. If you aren't any of these things, then, then what right do you have to baptize? And you know what? And from their perspective, it was a legitimate question. It's like, by which authority are you doing? Are you exercising this kind of religious jurisdiction when you've never even checked in with us? Right? And so, but from John's, so they basically said, look, if you're not any of this, then what are you, what are you baptizing people for? That's not your, it's not your right or responsibility. You have no authority to do that. And, and then John, this is what John, he doesn't even, watch what happens. He, it's like, he won't even engage it. Look where he goes. He says, look, look, the question is irrelevant at this point. I baptize with water, it's true. But what you don't understand, you see, see all the people out there. He probably pointed, there was probably a lot of people, crowds headed mass, they were coming all the time. And John says this, but right here in the crowd, I don't know where he is exactly, but I met him. Somewhere out there, moving about the people. I'm not sure if he's here at this moment, but out there in the crowd, somewhere amongst those people, I'm telling you right now, um, there is someone you do not recognize. He is among us. I can tell you he is among us. And though his ministry follows mine, how can I put it? I am not even worthy to be his slave. In fact, it would, I don't even, <laughs> I, I'm not even worthy to untie the straps on his sandals, it would be a privilege to untie his shoe. I say this to you, this encounter, this encounter we're told in verse 28, takes place in Bethany and east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. Watch what happens, okay? That's the conversation John has with them. The, this is what it says next, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. Watch what John's reaction is. Now, he hasn't seen him since the baptism. He says, behold, there he is. That's what we would say. Look at that. There he is. And there probably were a lot of people at that point around him. There he is, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's a curious designation. I mean, of all the things that John could have said to identify Messiah, we would have probably had a top 10 list. The Lamb of God would not have been on that list. But he calls him, his initial opening is, be, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is immersed in the scriptures, right? He's, gr he's grown up in the home of a priest. He's been around sacrifices all his life. He understands. He's been immersed in the book of Isaiah. 
He understands that Messiah's purpose is connected to giving himself away for us. He, when he says the designation of the Lamb of God, he's oh, you know what he's saying initially? The first movement of John publicly about Jesus connects us to the cross. The Lamb of God, who will take away not just the sin of our people, but the sin of the world. He's going to do, he already understands it. He already sees it. He gets it. He's been born to give his life away that we might have life with God. He who knew no sin will become sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. By his stripes, we will, we be, we will be healed. Um, all we like sheep have gone astray. Right? But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All these words are on John's mind. And he sees in Jesus the first thing that comes out is not the king, not the, not the, redeem, I mean, not, not the, the promise of redemption, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Powerful moment. Right? Everybody's looking at it. And then, and then, and then, and look what it says here. This is he, look what John says. He says this in front of everybody. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself, I did, I did not know him, but for this purpose I've come to baptize with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I'm telling you, that's why I've been doing what I've been doing. And John bore witness. And I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it, and it remained on him. And myself, I, did, I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was up until that point. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, that is he. This is he who, who will baptize you with the very Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. Right? And, I, I have, and then John makes a statement. The first time it will ever be said this way about Jesus in the history of the world. And since then it has been said in different ways I'm not exaggerating, by billions of people. There he is. This is the Son of God. Right there. Jesus, God's only Son. And so John sees Jesus coming, his first sighting. It's still clearly on his mind. What he saw, what he heard is on his mind. He declares for the first time, this is the Son of God. What's more is his eyes lock upon him. He sees him as the sin bearer. Look what it says, verse 35, and then the next day, the day after. So basically, the next day and the day after that. John again. Evidently, Jesus didn't have a conversation with him. It was just John pointing him out. There he is, right? The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. And we know one of them was Andrew for sure. So before Andrew was ever a disciple of Jesus, he was a disciple of John and a loyal one. And it says that the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, there he is. Behold, look, there he is, the Lamb of God. And so pointing to Jesus, which is fascinating because look what it says happens. And there's a kind of sadness. And do you see the sadness in the verse of five? I mean, it's both... Good and sad all at once because it says the two disciples heard him say this and they decided to follow him and leave John. And John points them to Jesus and then watches them walk away. He's 30 years old in his prime. The people love him. And he's pointing his guys to Jesus. It's time to leave me and follow him. No, follow him. It's powerful. At a human level, it's hard. I try to imagine him standing there going, I know it's the right thing, 
but this really is hard for me. I think he's the one. I believe he's the one. I've declared he's the one. I don't know what it means. But you don't follow, you know, follow him. Follow him. All right. Okay, here's, stay with me on this. I'm going to try to interact this with this. All in, what does it require from us? One of the things it requires, and just stick it up there, put it on the board, it requires a committed humility, especially for those of us who are taking our notes and interacting with it further, that refuses to be seduced, you guys, by the appeals of our ego and watches for pride and disunity. That contingent came to John while he was in the spotlight, and they laid a snare of pride before him. Are you the man? Are you the man? And, um, you know, it's interesting because I know this is, I'm not the first one to say this. I think it was A.T. Robertson who wrote this. But he said, it's, you can almost think of it like there's two temptations going on simultaneously. Jesus is in the wilderness being tempted to avoid the cross and get the power. The enemy is saying, you don't need the cross. You could just have the power. Just do what I say and worship me. John has been given an appeal that he's the man that is to be honored. The pride and the glory we want to give to you. Who are you? Both of them, in a way, are being tempted simultaneously, in different ways, obviously. But it would have been so easy for John, right? I think there are times when, uh, but, but here's the thing. John's beauty shows up is that he would not take what was not his. He was resolute in his identity. I'm the preparer of the way. I am not the one, right? And it doesn't matter what anyone says. I'm the preparer of the way, not the one. And I think there are times we're going to be presented with situations where we, how do I say, we have to choose a path, you guys, a path of humility that the Lord may have for us or a path of pride. We come into these places where we know on one sense we can walk the path of pride, but there's a path of humility and we, get it, we know inside where the Lord is calling us. There are some times where we're brought to these places where it's going to be a path of selfishness and meeting my needs or a path of obedience to Christ and living for others. I'm not saying that's always the case, but there are these moments where we are called into places of humility or pride. We have to do what John had to do here and really just think through what does it mean to be all in for God? And you know, as followers of the Lord, we have to guard our hearts, we have to guard our unity. Think about it. There was an attempt being made to drive a wedge between Jesus and John. Surely you are this. Who are you? By what authority do you have? He wouldn't do it. What he does is he shifts the discussion to Jesus. It's not about me, my friends. It's about the one who I'm getting ready for. And I'm telling you, he's here. Keeps pointing it back to Jesus. It would have been so easy at a human level for John because he was, if, to be competitive, to hold on to something. He was charismatic. He was a leader. He was admired. People were flattering him all the time. They followed him. They praised him. They obeyed him. They said he was from God. The authorities had come. They honored him with their presence. People were asking real questions. That's a real temptation there. It really is. I mean, he was, if I can say it, a superstar. John the Baptist, superstar. JB. <laughs> he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go that way. The, he felt the call to humility and the call to surrender. 
to give away, to step aside, and to let go. And that leads to the second thought that I want to lay out there. there are gonna, when we're all in, there are going to be times when the Lord invites us to let go, right? We need to be willing to go, to let go, when God makes it clear that that's the right thing for us to do, right? When it, when he let, there are going to be times where uh, our commitment's going to be tested. And John inspires me. He really does. No wonder Jesus would later speak of him in, in glowing terms. Because John did not love the gift more than the giver. Which sometimes we do that. I've done it. I can love my gift more than the one who gave it to me. Nothing is mine. It's all borrowed. Make no one. It's the Lord. See, there's a difference. John did not forget he was serving where his supreme loyalty was to lie. He was willing, and we will speak more of this later, to let go, even when his life turned into the direction that was so hard for him to understand. Uh, I mean, he is going to find himself in such a difficult place. He's gonna, we're going to see it. We're going to walk through it together. But John's going to get arrested by a very powerful superstitious king named Herod is going to lock him up and the man of the wilderness who's never known confinement only open sky is going to feel for the first time in his life the loss of all his freedom and he's going to have to sit there and process through how could someone who's loved God and been faithful be stuck like this right now and then he has to have people telling him about what Jesus is doing and it doesn't make sense to him we're going to see it he doesn't make sense because it's not how he would have done things. And he begins to question, is Jesus really the one that I thought he was? And you're going to watch him walk through that. There's so much there for us. I see that and I go, ah, oh, Lord. I mean, later on, John's going to say, he must increase and I must decrease. He's got to hammer it down into the ground because like, he's wrestling with it. Um, here's the question I have for us. Are there some things the Lord is asking us to let go of? Ah. Maybe it could be expectations that we impose on ourselves. Could be reputations that we've held like John had. Places where we found our security, our identity. That's what was happening to him. He was being asked to lay aside his, his identity. My job's done. What now? Like They don't need me anymore. It's hard to be forgotten and disregarded and passed by. It is really hard when you've been used to something other than that. You know, I think maybe sometimes some of us, we have things we're holding on to that God's saying, you need to let go of them. Just hear me out. It might be a resentment that we're holding on to or a fear that we're holding on to or uh, an offense that we've been walking with far too long and it's time to let it go. It might be a good thing that we have that we're supposed to offer back to God and say, Lord, if this is my Isaac, then I give it back to you. You may give it back to me and say, no, I don't need it. I just want to see if you are open. But that path of obedience is before us, and we get to trust God right there. Those are defining moments in our lives with the Lord. Last thing, leave it here. When we're all in, it requires us to consistently point others to Jesus. I hope we see it. We are to be witnesses of the Lamb. What did John say? There he is. Look at, that. Look at him. 
Look at him. Don't look at me. Look at him. Look at him. That's the one you need to follow right there. That's the Lamb of God. That, I love that. You know, because part of it is because it connects right back to our mission statement as a church. I'm not saying we're the only ones, but I will say this. It's good to do it. Look, check out our, what did we say we want to do as a, as a people? Live out our faith in Jesus and invite others into life with him. We're basically saying we're committed to, to pointing people to Jesus. Not like a cop-out, like, oh, you know, it's only him and don't look at my life. No, it's obviously, the words mean nothing if they're not backed up with something. We, our actions, our words, this, let your light shine. This, sometimes it's our words. I was talking to somebody and I said, sometimes it's the things we say, but I think increasingly in this culture, it might be the things we don't say. The absence of something becomes noticeable. And I think when people start to recognize, yeah, we're not perfect, but there's something of substance going on in our lives because of Jesus. We can humbly and authentically point people towards him and invite others into life with him. Might be a rise and shine. Might be an Easter service. Might be just come to church with me. Hey, what do you got to lose? Are we doing it? Are we pointing out to others? Look at him. Look at him. Look at him. There he is. He could change everything. Let your light so shine, Jesus said, before people. They may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. By the goodness and the quality of our lives, we're not perfect, not at all. Sometimes the, the goodness of God shines forth most majestically and beautifully in the pain. It does. The, the scars tell a story of grace, and of a God who doesn't abandon us. How faithful. All right. Let's pray. Let's pray together. And then, of course, afterwards, if you need prayer, there's always a little prayer team there to pray with you about anything you might need. Uh, both, both uh, Lord, I just I thank you for the time we've just shared here together. And I know we're about to close the service out with our quick time of giving and our final song. But I, I want to ask that the words that we've just shared would have deep meaning and value and you know, Lord, I want, I want us to walk a path. I would like us to walk a path. I would like to walk that path, too, of following you and being open to um, shifts and changes and not being afraid of them and not being defined by them, but just being open to your purpose and plan and not letting our heart Lord, seize up and uh, start getting our grip even tighter when you're calling us to let go and to trust. And so um, help us to do this in our own lives and then be able to point others towards you, just like John did. I thank you for his example. I pray that we'd be inspired by it and that we too would be part of your story, your unfolding story. Let's stay close to you, Lord. We love you. We want to magnify you. We do want to honor you with our life. Be blessed then as we close out this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. 